Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. If there's one thing I absolutely hate, it's going to the dentist. And I don't know, maybe you feel the same way. I hate everything about it. I hate having to go and sit in the chair and do the cleaning and all that other stuff. And the worst is when you have actual work being done. I remember the last time uh, I needed a filling, it was a few years ago, and I, I even hate the freezing. I don't like needles. I, I hate the, the feeling of it, especially when you get a lot of freezing. When you need it, it goes up into your eyes. I just can't stand it. So I, I had a small filling I needed done. And, and I, I asked the dentist, how big is this filling? He says, it's, it's really tiny. I said, okay, I'd like to try to do it without the freezing. And, uh, and I did. I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't take a long time. There was one like really, really bad moment in there. And, uh, and I didn't have to have that frozen thing afterwards. And one thing that really helped was two things that helped. One is that the, the dentist talked his way through the whole thing. Okay, so now I'm drilling. Okay, that's the bad part. Okay, now I'm buffing. Now I'm sanding. Because normally when you get it done, all you hear is that, that gross drill whine the whole time. But, but you don't know that the drilling is long stopped and you're just going through the finishing process. So him tell, telling me, walking me through it really, really helped. And the second thing I knew that it wasn't going to take a long time. If, if, I, if I didn't know that it was going to be a short time, I would not have been able to tolerate that. And I wonder about the things that we endure, the things that we have to endure. Uh, what have you had to endure? Maybe a bad boss at work or going to school for the first, you know, 15 years or more of your life. What, what do we have to endure? The real challenge is when we don't know how long it's going to last. You just have to go through it on and on and on and on. And that's one of the challenges we face now with lockdown. Again, how long are we going to have to go through this? And it's at times like these, we can get frustrated, we can get discouraged. We can ask the question, is the Lord even really with us as followers of Jesus? Why are we doing this again? We can, we can become cynical or hardened. And that's what I want to talk about today. We, we're in this series on the book of Hebrews. We are in... Um, it's the third message, but the second big chunk of the book. We're going to be looking at, uh, at Hebrews 3 and 4 today. And this is a message. This is a sermon. If you were with us the past couple of weeks, you would, you would know this. It's basically a written down sermon that was probably given in a synagogue setting to a church, a group of followers of Jesus that were continuing the Jewish practice of hearing from Scripture, hearing God speak from Scripture on a weekly basis. But it was a church that was wearing out because of struggles and persecution. How long do we have to go through this? And this is where the message comes in to, to keep the faith, to persevere as they await the return of Jesus. What does Scripture say? And for them, it was mostly Old Testament Scripture. Although, again, there were New Testament Scriptures being added. These texts that were God's spoken voice, how did they point to Jesus and encourage us to persevere? Today is a, is a very complex message um, it's, it's a tight message, and um, I'm going to try to get it all out there. I didn't want to break this into two or three different parts. I'm going try to try to make it make sense. There's at least four layers of text and meaning, and you'll see what I mean by that. Last week, we talked about Jesus being uh, better than the angels. This week... Uh, last week we talked about the angels were the mediators of the first covenant. This, is, this was their understanding of what angels did. This week we're talking about Jesus being better than Moses who received from the angels that first covenant. 
Uh, if you if you want to respond, uh, if you have a comment or a question relevant to the message today, please put it in the YouTube chat. Uh, if you're watching live, you can always send it to my cell phone if you have my, my text number. And if we have time at the end, we'll deal with that. So here we have Hebrews 3 and 4, the second big chunk of the book of Hebrews. Uh, if, if we were talking about the Star Wars saga, which is, you know, nine stories, this is the first, third, middle story. So it would be the equivalent of Attack of the Clones, except that the message here doesn't suck like Attack of the Clones did. So in the, a big part of this, there's a huge chunk in here that, that I want to explain. You ever been on your phone and you know you're running out of data? Okay, I got, you know, a week to go before the end of the month, and I'm running out of data. So what you do is you start only using your data for the important things. You're not going to go on a walk outside and watch a video on YouTube if it's eating up your data. You only have a little bit left. And so a lot of what they wrote in the New Testament documents was kind of like that. Because they had limited scroll space. They, weren't, they didn't have paper. They would be writing on uh, either Pyrus, which was made of... Uh, it, it was an Egyptian product made of reeds, or they were writing on parchment, which was animal skin sort of sewn together, and, and they would have a, they would roll it up, right? There was no book form at that point. That came actually very shortly after this in history, which facilitated the, the scripture being spread around because you could put all of those texts together into one chunk. But so they would have scrolls, and a scroll had a limit on its length. So if you were listening last week, we talked about how they were the author, this preacher, was referring to these Old Testament quotes, and he would give a little reference, but the hearers would know the reference, and they would understand how that would all unfold. And so you could do that in a message, you could do that on a scroll, to save space, right? If it, the Lord is my shepherd, and everyone goes, oh yeah, that means the whole Psalm 23. These little, little quotes. What's significant here is that all of a sudden... He uses a lot of space on this scroll. He uses a lot of his limited space to give attention to one psalm in particular, Psalm 95. And you'll see this in Hebrews 3. He quotes Psalm 95 at significant length. He's, he's giving it a lot of attention. He's, he's using that valuable space and giving space to this psalm. Why? Not only does he quote half the psalm, like a lot of it, but then he requotes it three more times. Psalm 95 is a call to worship, and a lot of the Psalms, they were the prayers of the, of, of the Jewish people. And some of them were specific calls to worship. They would use them before they would go to the temple for worship. And this is one of those Psalms. It's a call to God's people to come worship. But it makes reference to Old Testament texts. Here we have the layers, okay? So here we are, 2021, okay? We're reading a document that was written in the first century, probably about 50 or 60 AD. So we're reading a text. We are here reading a, the Hebrews text, which is referencing a psalm, which references Exodus and Numbers. It's like Inception, right? You're going deeper, 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 more layers. And so this psalm actually quotes a part of Exodus 17.7, we'll put it, put it on the screen, it says this, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? This, this is a reference to Israel's journey through the wilderness where this was common. They saw all these miracles but they kept on being challenged to trust God, to believe God, to be faithful to him, in spite of him proving himself to, him, to them over and over. Every time there was a hardship, they would turn their back on God again until it, it, it hit the climax, which we'll talk about, okay? So 
Moses is the central figure that's being compared to Jesus in Hebrews 3 and 4. In, Mo, in Hebrews 3, 3, the, the author calls Moses a faithful servant in God's house. It's interesting. Servant seems to be the primary way that Moses, this key figure in the Old Testament, the person who brings about this first covenant, he's called a servant at least 83 times in the Old Testament. He's a faithful servant. This is who he is. He's a faithful servant in God's house. Last week we talked about the angels bringing the covenant. Well, they didn't just give it to the people, they gave it to Moses. He was the representative of the people. Not only was he the representative of the people, but the people were terrified of God's presence being manifested among them. And so they asked that Moses would be their go-between. So he became their representative when it came to engaging with God. The real challenge is when they actually make the journey all the way through the wilderness and they get to the promised land and they face a choice. And the choice is, are you going to enter the promised land? Psalm 95, this passage that Hebrews quotes three levels down in inception, Psalm 95 calls it my rest. God says, I will not let, let them enter my rest. The promised land was equated with rest. Well, what is rest? The rest is, God is referring to the rest of creation, where at the, the Genesis 1 text says he created everything and then he rested on the seventh day. There's a, there's a parallel here. The promised land is a symbol of that rest. The creation rest is when God established everything and everything was good. You know, when everything feels good in life, not like now, but when everything seems to be ticking along and you know, nobody's sick and your finances are good and, 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 and you're doing meaningful work and everything just feels good. That's what that rest feels like. And that's what they expected to find in the promised land. That's what life was going to be. It was going to be an echo of creation as it was meant to be. The problem is when they got to the edge, they said, the challenge is too big. So the land wasn't empty just waiting for them. They had battles to fight. The circumstances were overwhelming, and because of overwhelming circumstances, they rejected the promise. It says they hardened their hearts. That's cynicism, it's fear, it's despair. After everything they saw God do among them, they stepped into a stubborn refusal to just walk into and engage, to, to, to strive for the rest that God had for them. And so that's why it says in Psalm 95, they will, God says, they will never enter my rest. Hebrews 3.19 makes a commentary on it. It says, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now, the word unbelief there, um, I, I don't love that as a translation because unbelief sounds like, you know, lack of belief. I don't believe. So it sounds like an opinion you hold or you haven't been convinced of something. The, the actual word there, I, I don't normally actually quote the, the Greek words, but I'm going to in this case. The, the, the word for faith is pistis, which means faith, faithfulness, trustworthiness, loyalty, allegiance, all of that. So belief is not just a mental assent. It's, it's that faithfulness, loyalty. The word for unbelief here is apistis. It's, when you put an A in front of a Greek word, it negates it. Like atheist, I don't believe in God. Um, apolitical not engaged in politics or not political in any way. It, it means not whatever. So this is, this is apistis. And I think it could be better translated faithlessness, disloyalty, lack of trust. They get to the edge of the promised land 
And God has proven himself faithful to him, to the people over and over. And Moses, his representative, is the faithful servant. But they say, we don't want to go in. We are not keeping faith. They demonstrated faithfulness. And so to the best of Moses' ability, he was not able to bring the people into the promised land as God intended, into his rest. And this is where Moses is compared with Jesus. This preacher, this Hebrews preacher says, Jesus is better than Moses. Now listen to this. It's the beginning of Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3 verse 6. Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in, in Christ. He's comparing Moses, who is a faithful servant in God's house, to Christ, the son, who's in charge of God's entire house. He's a step up. He's in charge of the whole thing. And actually, he compares him to Joshua in the next chapter. Hebrews 4 verse 8. Now, if Joshua had... Okay, Joshua is Moses' successor who brings people in the promised land. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, the rest of the promised land, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. A couple of things going on here. First of all, everybody that's hearing this sermon in the synagogue knows the story. Moses could not bring the people into the promised land. His successor, Joshua, did. They know that story. If you were to... The name Joshua is exactly the same as the name Jesus. If you were to read this in the original Greek language, there's no distinction between the name of Joshua and the name of Jesus here. It's translated as Joshua instead of Jesus so as not to confuse us as 21st century readers. The first century audience would have understood that distinction. But in the original text, the exact same name. It could just as easily be read now, if Jesus had, had succeeded in giving them the rest, God would have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So Jesus is sort of obliquely compared to Moses' successor here. But this is where it gets confusing because now we're talking about another day of rest still to come. We have God's original creation, rest, everything the way it's supposed to be. We have the promised land as an echo of rest. But now there's an expectation of a future rest. What's going on here? It's like one of those, uh, you stay up too late at night, you're watching TV and one of those infomercials comes on and they're trying to sell you something that is going to dramatically change your life and, and you're going to pay $19.95 for six months to, to get this product and they offer you this knife that will cut anything and then they say, but wait, there's more, right? We're going to give you five of the same knife even though they just told you one would do the whole job. So this is a wait, there's more. There's layers of meaning when it comes to this rest that's being offered. So you have God's creation rest. You have the promised land that is an echo of that rest, life the way it should be, which it ended up not being because of the continual disobedience of God's people. But there was an idea that the, the temple worship, when, they would, when the people of Israel would go to the temple and worship God in the Old Testament times, there was a sense, there was an, the idea that it was in, in the holy place that heaven and earth would overlap, that this is where God was. This is where, this was a a foretaste or a microcosm of the way everything should be, heaven and earth overlapping. And so when they were called to worship, they were called into the experience of God's presence, which was that rest. A lot of scholars believe that the temple was designed after the formula provided in the Garden of Eden. It was, it was sort of a recreation of that, the place where heaven and earth meet. Not only that, but Sabbath rest was also seen as an anticipation of when God finally fixed everything. So on a weekly basis, they would practice Sabbath rest. They would practice this one day of rest 
that would foreshadow, it would demonstrate to everybody else, but also be their experience, we're, we're, we're experiencing the rest that God will have for us eternally at the end of time, in the age to come. We, we're, we're experiencing God's recreation ahead of time, every Sabbath. That was, that was understood. You, you can read that in some of the first, and, uh, first century writers a little bit before that. And, and in the Psalm 95, it talks about that rest. When do we enter that rest? When? Today. So we anticipate the rest to come in the age to come when Jesus returns, when the Messiah comes to implement it, but we can enter that today. Hebrews 3.12 says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. That same verse is repeated again in Hebrews 4.6. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. There's a, an ancient story uh, a Jewish story um, about a, a rabbi that was, that was struggling with the anticipation of the Messiah coming. And uh, in, in Jewish tradition, the, the idea is that Elijah will come and prepare for the Messiah coming. He will announce his coming. And so there was a, there was a, a rabbi who was talking to Elijah, and he said, when will Messiah come? And Elijah said, today. And the next day, when will Messiah come? Today. Every time, the idea is that every time we prepare, when we respond to the call to worship, it's like Messiah is coming. And that story would have been well known to this audience. When does Messiah come? Today. Now, these are followers of Jesus who understood that, Je that Messiah did come. Messiah was Jesus. The Elijah here is John the Baptist, who, who, who announced that Messiah was coming. And he came... And he partially implemented his kingdom, but the age to come is still coming in the future. So we're living sort of in, the, in that in-between, in, in the overlap. Hebrews, this preacher, he re reiterates, he calls again that call to worship of Psalm 95. It's why he quotes it at length. We are called to worship. In the Old Testament covenant, that first covenant, they awaited the Messiah. Now here we understand we are Messiah people. We look ahead to that final fulfillment. But we're called to worship. And in that worship is a foretaste of the age to come. A long time ago, um, there was a thing that I used to go to. It's called a shopping mall. In the shopping mall, there's a food court. And maybe one day we'll be able to go back to the food court. But sometimes when you go to the food court, if you went by the, the, the Thai restaurant or the, or the Chinese restaurant, they would have a tray of samples. And they would, you know, call you over here, try the sample, try the sample. They want to give you a taste of something to whet your appetite so you go, oh, that's really good. I'm going to buy more of it. It's a foretaste that anticipates the meal they want you to eat. When we respond to the call to worship, we get the foretaste of the age to come. It's not complete. It's still limited. It's still just a, a, a bite-sized appetite wetter that anticipates God's coming kingdom. But this is what we're called to experience. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do. We talked about that last week. 
that Jesus comforts us because he understands what it means to be human. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus is the faithful high priest, the son of God, faithful high priest. So it says in Hebrews three, verse one, he's God's faithful, uh, I believe the word is the faithful apostle and high priest. And the priest's job is to be a representative in God's presence. But this says that he takes us right into God's presence. Followers of Jesus, he takes us right into his presence because this is the Jesus we said last week who is at the top, but he went all the way to the bottom of creation, all the way back up again, so he can bring everything into God's presence. And we are called to experience that as a foretaste in anticipation of the age to come. So here's the choice. We face a choice today, just as the, the, the followers of Moses did at the edge of the promised land, just as this, these first century synagogue people faced a choice to respond to the call to worship. So we face that call today, whatever your circumstance. We are called to respond to God in worship. When? Today. We are challenged to enter God's rest. The scripture says in Hebrews, strive to enter God's rest. It sounds paradoxical, right? We want to rest, we have to strive to enter there. Which one is it, rest or strive? But every day we face a moment of decision. We face a challenge. And scripture calls us. The first century believers understood scripture. This is God's voice speaking to us. There's a very, very familiar verse that is constantly read out of context. In fact, when we started this series, we read this verse. It's Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the two-edged sword. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. The context of this verse is the call to worship and enter into God's rest. I don't think I've ever heard that preached out in my life. The context of this verse that talks about scripture is the challenge to worship and experience God's rest. Why? Because scripture is what is challenging us and it it challenges our motives. It challenges our intentions. And this is language that would have been understood in the first century because this was, this was language that had been used. There was a, there was a Jewish uh, philosopher. He, he didn't practice the Jewish religion. He was a Stoic. And he talks about the logos, uh, which is the, the word that means word. And in, in the Stoic philosophy, it was the idea of the, the rational ground of being underneath everything in a philosophical sense. And he says that the logos is a sharp sword. The Logos is a sharp sword, so it's that rationale evaluates what you do and how you live. John, in, in his gospel, John 1, uh, 1 verse 1, he, he calls Jesus the same word. Jesus is the Logos. That, that philosophical principle, John is saying it's a person. Here, it uses that principle to talk about scripture. There was another ancient document called Wisdom, and it talks about uh, scripture being wielded God, as, as a sharp sword, which is God's voice speaking to us. This is language they would have understood. Although Hebrews goes one farther, he says it's sharper than the sharpest sword. It challenges us, it calls us, recognize who God is, give him his worship which is due, and in doing so we will experience his rest. So here's the question, the question that we're all facing. When facing pressure, how do we persevere? Our temptation 
is to ask, is the Lord really with us? Our temptation is to allow our hearts to grow hard. Our temptation is to succumb to despair, to succumb, succumb to discouragement and cynicism. But the answer here is that we are challenged by Scripture across the centuries. We're called to strive for that rest. We're called to live in the anticipation, not just expectant waiting, but experiencing as a foretaste that age to come. Our response, faithfulness, obedience, trust. Are your circumstances overwhelming? The promise is superior and it's worth it. And so the challenge here is don't, don't get to the edge and turn around the way the ancient Israelites did. Our faithful high priest is calling. Make space for him. When your resources are few, when your data is limited, this is important enough to give attention to time with God, to worship of him, of him. Give him your attention. Give him your focus. Prioritize him. Make that space for him. Listen to his call. How do you do that? Spend some time in prayer. Put on some worship music. We have so many resources available for us. Make a call a friend, a video call, and, and spend some time praying together. Go outside and, and, and have a walk with God in nature or on your street. You can, you can talk with him out loud. You know, 50 years ago, you'd be arrested and thrown in an asylum for that. But now everybody thinks you're on your phone. So you can do that. Have a conversation with God. Give him your attention. See, when we face this overwhelming circumstance, how do we respond? Do we respond by shrinking back? Do we respond by hardening our heart? Do we respond by faithfulness and obedience and responding to the call to worship. If we shrink back, this becomes our pattern. It becomes our tendency. And then it becomes our character. It becomes who we are. That hardness of heart, that cynicism. Is the Lord with us or not? Jesus promises that he'll take us right into God's presence. Our high priest who's faithful. Don't harden your heart. Don't give in to, to that stubborn refusal. After everything you've seen, what has God done in your life? Rehearse that. Saying yes gives you the foretaste. It whets your appetite for that final meal. Jesus meets us in the moment, giving us a foretaste of the age to come. When? Today. Every time it's today. Maybe you're tuned in today and, and you've never even said that first yes. You've never responded in faithfulness. You've never responded in, in obedience. You're just living your life and now you're understanding there's something more and you need to say yes for the first time. And to do that, it's, it's a simple process. It's not an easy choice, but it's the, first, it's the first faithful choice to the God who loves you and calls you into his rest. And so if, you, if that's a choice you need to make today, that very first yes, I want to lead you in a prayer today it's, and take you through this process. It's, it's as simple as ABC. It's as simple as A, admitting. Admitting, acknowledging your need for him. Your life without God doesn't have that satisfaction, doesn't have that rest. You're not living the life you were called to live. You, you do all kinds of things that sabotage yourself. And, and there's more for you that God has offered. And he's challenging you. He's summoning you, inviting you 
into his rest. So A, admit your need for him. B is believe. And there's that, that's that faith element. Again, it's not just a, it's not a mental ascent. It's not about holding a certain opinion. It's about offering up trust, loyalty, faithfulness, faith in the one who went to the cross for you to build the bridge between you and your God who went to the cross and came through to resurrection on the other side, went all the way to the bottom so that we could lift us up into God's presence. That's the B, believe, trust. And then C is commit your life to him. It's a change of path. I was doing this, now I'm doing that. I was living for myself, now I'm living for Jesus. I was living for money, now I'm living for God. I was living for my own comfort, for my own pleasure. Now I'm living for God's intention. I was working and working and striving and striving, and now I'm choosing to give God my attention and enter the rest that he has for me. And if this is a decision, if your response, a first-time response to faith today, to God, I would just pray a prayer something like this. Just use these words, make them your own. Father in heaven, I want to say yes to you. I want to respond to your call with faith, trust. I'm choosing to trust you today. I acknowledge my need for you. I'm believing in Jesus as the source of my life, and I'm going to commit my life completely to you. Thank you for your offer to me. I'm choosing to give you my trust. In Jesus' name, amen. And if this is a first time faith decision that you are making today, if you've never done this before, you're saying yes to God for the first time, please connect with us. We have resources for you. There's, there's a whole new life available for you. And it, 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 takes, it takes help. We all need that help. And so if you go to crosslands.live on your smart device and click the follow Jesus button, give us your contact info and we'll get, get a hold of you and we'll give next, next steps on how, where do we go from here? How do I begin to live my life in trust, in faith of God, who wants the very best for me? Jesus is our faithful high priest. He's the one that came on our behalf, went all the way to the bottom, so he could raise us up. And he gives us that foretaste of the future life, the future eternity that we have for God. And we, we, we experience that in our moments of worship. Make space for what's important. Take the time away from the busyness of work at work or at home. Take a break from your Netflix binging. Take a break from despair. Take a break from hopelessness. Give God your attention. Spend some time with him. Respond to the call to worship. If the circumstances are overwhelming, God offers a promise that's worth it. And we will be sustained, we will be able to persevere by the foretaste of our eternity with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your plans for us are good, and that regardless of the circumstances that we're facing right now, we know that you are trustworthy. And we know that there's a future with you that goes beyond our imagining. And so as we struggle, if we get discouraged, Father, bring to our memory the call to worship, to give you our attention, to put you at the center, to make you the focus of our lives. 
And Father, as we do that, give us those foretastes of eternity. Give us those foretastes of the age to come when everything will be all good as we live in relationship with you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.